I'm Sarah Gibson Tuttle. I'm the founder and CEO of Olive in June. What I love about beauty is that a single product can make someone feel like their best self. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. everyone and welcome to Beauty is Your Business. I'm Denise Dente, your co-host for today and here with my business partner, colleague and co-host, Jessica Quick. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Denise. And we're really excited to have Sarah on the show from Olive and June. So excited to speak with you and get to know you and your brand a little bit better and really talk about the innovation that you guys have brought forth into the industry of nails. So Sarah, take us through your journey because I think it's super interesting how you went from finance to fingernails. Thrilled to be here. So excited to be joining y'all. I'm such a fan. And so my journey is a little bit of a not normal journey. I went from an equity sales trader at Morgan Stanley to owning a beauty brand. And so it's definitely not your typical route. I have always loved getting my nails done, though. I've always loved having my nails painted, I should say, because my father, when I was a child, did not let me have my nails painted. So it was always my act of rebellion. And I would sneak nail polish under my bed. And when he was away or at work, I would literally paint my nails and hope he wouldn't notice. So after I graduated college, I went to work at JP Morgan as an equity sales trader. And then a couple years later, I joined the Morgan Stanley team and I worked in finance for a decade. And I loved clients. I loved making people happy. I loved figuring out what I could do on the service side to make a client feel good about whatever it was, whether it be a trade or a stock idea or market rundown. It was all about the client. But what I realized is that I actually didn't care about the fundamentals of the market. I wouldn't even read the Wall Street Journal that was delivered outside my door every day. It was just a waste of paper. And I would try to fudge my way through knowing what was going on in the market. And at some point, it occurred to me, I need to be doing something different with my life. I need to be doing something I'm really excited about. And I was on a trip in LA, getting one of my many services, getting a blowout at Dry Bar. And I had never seen a blowout bar before. So I thought that was the coolest concept in the world. And like a month or two later, after I'd had this incredible experience, I thought I should do this in nails. So then from there, that's when you actually opened the salons, Olive and June, correct? Right. So the idea was I wanted to be the dry bar for nails. That was the original concept. And I know that most of the people listening today will know about our products and know about Olive and June that way. But it really started as a salon concept. And really modeled after this unique experience that I had had. Also, LA and New York are really different. I was living in New York at the time, right? So I was coming to LA to interview and visit and vacation because I really wanted to leave finance. But I had seen this model in different versions, right? Whether it be food, LA has Earth Cafe or Sugarfish started here. Umami Burger was really big at the time to other experiences that were in this like affordable luxury category. And so I was really taken with the idea that you could have a great experience with a ton of service at an affordable luxury price point. And so that's really where it started. So I quit my job, moved across the country, and nine months later opened Olive in June in Beverly Hills, kind of in the heart of Beverly Hills between two restaurants that 
many, many people frequent. And I remember my husband, who was then my boyfriend, said to me at the time, you know, if you fail, you fail epically, right? Like everyone will know that this did not work because it was literally in the crosshairs of these two restaurants and it was right across the street from where everyone parked and it was in the heart of the Beverly Hills Triangle. But I just felt like that was the best location and I felt like I had the best shot of really making an impact because I didn't have the money to hire a publicist. I didn't have the money to be anything other than exist um, and work really hard and try to make the experience really specific. So we launched our flagship salon in Beverly Hills in 2013 and from the start, it was just packed. I mean, I think the thing that we, or I guess I should say I, I always say we as if I'm Olive and there's a June, they are my grandmothers. So this salon was named after them. And there is no co-founder, unfortunately, for me. But what I really wanted to do was elevate the experience. So when you walked in, you filled out a survey and all of your preferences were stored on file. So anything you wanted done with your nails, whether it be your shape or how to take care of your cuticles, it was all stored for you. So you didn't have to tell the manicurist every time you were there, they got this preference sheet and they knew how you liked your nails. And obviously you could always change it up, but it was a really good guide. And it really kicked off the conversation in a nice way as well. We had over 500 bottles of polish on the wall from over 10 brands. I mean, it was really for me we had gels, we did nail art, it was in this gorgeous space, it was super friendly. It was this new type of neighborhood nail salon. And it was really exciting to see the response. We had daily wait lists and people would come to Coachella and they'd stop at Olive in June for their Coachella Manny from like Australia. I mean, it was just, Instagram was just starting to get really big. And so that was a form of very organic marketing that just happened. And with a lot of love and a lot of hard work by the team. And then we expanded to three locations in Los Angeles within the next, I guess, three years. And at some point along that journey, I realized, okay, if we're going to do this in scale, it's either going to be a lot of salons or is there a product idea? And everyone had told me to do product, but I was so adamant about not creating another nail polish for this world. But I started to do research on the market and I realized that the at-home nail experience, the DIY nail experience was really not covered in the category and that they were just professional products on a shelf. So the consumer was really lost. There was all these searches on YouTube and all this interest. And then you had 10% of the category doing it themselves and really failing when they were trying to really recreate the Salon Manny at home. And so what I started to tackle and started to brainstorm was at that point, we had this really big brand. People thought we were huge and we were tiny. And how could we use our brand and our following but then all of our learnings in the salon and then really dig in and say, how can we create a manicure system where you can really get a salon quality manicure at home? How long did it take you to go through that process? You know, you've got the salons, you're busy, successful. So what was the process that you took and that risk in developing a brand in a marketplace that was already full of competition and so forth at the store level at drugstores and so forth, where people could go and buy their products. So talk to us a little bit about that risk that you took. I appreciate you saying that because it really was a risk and people now don't think it was. And obviously y'all have a background in nails, so you understand how big of a risk it was. Basically, everyone said there's no reason. Just like bring out a bunch of colors. You know, you know color, just do a bunch of colors. You don't need to do anything else. And the reality is no one's ever going to do their nails at home. And obviously that the whole landscape and beauty has changed and in the world has changed. And so everything is now focused on DIY, but it wasn't at the time. It took me about three years. I mean, 
really when we launched product, we had been in the market for six. And you could say that from probably six to 12 months in, I was already thinking about what could we offer, but really working feverishly on it. It was about two and a half to three years. And it was because our manicure system is not just, here's a file, here's a buffer, here's a polish, call it a day. It's really about thinking about, do we need to be cutting our cuticles? And if not, what kind of tools do we need to have? Do we need a cuticle oil or is that really messy? And should we be doing a serum? Because actually it's non-greasy and it's going to be easier. But also, if I don't know how to paint my nails which is the number one issue. People say, I cannot paint with my non-dominant hand. How do we solve for that? And so the biggest hero product that we made was the Poppy, which is a silicone rubber handle that you can pop on to most nail polish bottles, not just ours. And it stabilizes your non-dominant hand. We have a few different patents on that product and a few different iterations. The Poppy is probably the most simple version of what we could have created, but we worked with engineers and industrial designers for over 12 months, and they came to the salon and studied the manicurists working, and then they studied at home. We did a focus group of people painting their own nails. And so we did so many different lenses of like, how do you paint and what does that look like? And how can we help people really give them the confidence in the stabilization to be able to paint both hands so that one hand doesn't look like my seven-year-old painted it. So it took a while and it was a huge risk for us. If the product line hadn't worked, we basically raised money based on that product line. So it would have been an incredible amount of dilution in my company and I wouldn't have gotten anywhere if it didn't work. But I felt really strongly that if makeup is 99% at home and hair is well over 50% at home and nails is 10% at home, you can use data to like juxtapose it where you're like, okay, and then nails are searched a quarter of the amount of time as they are on YouTube. Well, if they're searched a quarter of the amount of time and they're one thirtieth the size of the market, we have a market here that is untapped that we can grow. And so I use my anecdotal data and I use real data to say, this is a risk I'm willing to take. So then what was it about that channel of distribution of getting really direct to the consumer? Because obviously you've got your manicure kit, you've got your poppy, you're ready to go. It makes logical sense. You could sell it through salons since that's the area that you're in. What was it about that direct to consumer? And what was that journey like of switching from being kind of in that professional space to then now suddenly going direct and having those conversations and building it directly to the consumer? So I never thought that I would sell it to salons. And I know that sounds crazy because of where I was and where the vast majority of nail products are sold is in a salon and is salon distribution. But for me, the poppy was never going to be used by a manicurist. So it was always very separate businesses. And we had talked about distributing our polish to salons because as I firmly believe, but I also know via testing that our polish is long lasting and better than a lot of the brands in the market. And so I felt very strongly that for sure there could be a salon distribution for the polishes. But the reality is, is that we were never going to ask our manicurists to paint with the poppy. We were never going to have anyone else paint with the poppy. And so it made logical sense to me that they were two different businesses, that the salon experience was this affordable luxury, but higher end experience. And that at home was going to be a separate experience. And that most people, if they're into nails, there's going to be a cadence every year of how often they do it in the salon and how often they do it at home. Because that's the reality for most people's lives. They don't do 100% one way or the other. I think, again, the pandemic has shifted a lot of behavior. And there are people that are 100% at home now. 
But I think generally speaking, we always think it's a nail routine and we are just part of your routine. And so it made a lot of sense for me to go direct and to sell it direct to consumer. So we launched our Manny system in late spring of 2019. We had already had nail art stickers that we had launched the previous year that were just like a really cute thing that we launched to see if there's any interest. And we didn't know if they would be a big deal or a little deal. They ended up being a bigger deal than we expected, but not huge, nothing crazy. That wasn't going to be our whole business. And we actually secured a really exciting opportunity at Target because they wanted to carry the stickers. And so we did an end cap, which is like a placement. For those who don't know, it's a display at the end of an aisle. And we did a collaboration with Essie, which is crazy when you think about it, that we had just launched our polish and our poppy. And But the poppy fits in Essie bottles. And we had a really wonderful relationship with that brand for five, six, seven years. And so we basically did a nationwide display with Essie at Target that summer, like two months after we had launched our polish. And it was wildly successful. Our stickers sold out in a week. And I think that really tipped me off of, okay, I was going direct to consumer, which was successful. Retail is going to be really impactful and important and integral in this distribution channel strategy, which I don't think I knew. And I know this all sounds a little bit haphazard, like I kind of just stumbled into things. But I do think as you're building a business, you have to try little things. You have to start selling things online. You test retail. I probably could have tested salons a little bit more than I did. We do have some salons that actually buy our polishes at full price because they really want them. And so we were able to test a few things and see what the reaction would be and then develop a strategy. So it was a little bit backwards than probably like a business school grad would have done it. But here we are. I love this whole kind of journey with you, Sarah, because actually a lot of the things you did were a little bit out of the norm of what the recommended or the standard approach would be, right? You go and you open a salon, which is risky. Then you start making product for a channel in which you are not actually in because you see a need. And then you go and place yourselves in Beverly Hills, which is wicked expensive so that you can partner really with the people walking down the street, build your name. And then you come in and partner with Essie. There's something very interesting about your ability to partner with the right location, people, and so forth in order to build the brand and do it in a way that would not be the typical start a salon, make some product, get some funding, sell that through a professional channel. That's what makes this story, I think, uniquely Olive and June and uniquely you. It's very interesting. I appreciate that so much. I'm a Manny obsessi, right? And I so love when people feel good when their nails are done. Like it makes me feel so good. And so for me, it's always been the lens. It's always been beautiful nails for everyone. And so I've always just tried things to see what would make people feel good. But I'm also incredibly involved in both the day-to-day and the high-level strategy of the business. So when we're partnering with Chanel almost a decade ago and running their Oscars weekend Chateau Marmont pop-up, and it's all of our manicures, I'm running the nail piece of it. I'm there every day, all day, no breaks, just making sure that it's great. And then I'm also the person that's like, okay, high level, what should we be thinking about for our polish line and where should we distribute it? And looking at all the data of where nail polish is sold now and what our future retailers look like. But I think it's just because I'm obsessed. Like I really, really care about the experience from the consumer. And so I think it's just also a fresh perspective on the category. The category has been done in a very specific way. I mean, it's a very, very popular category, but I think the incumbents 
have really settled into their lanes and really are not truly understanding what the current consumer wants. And so I think that it's going to be really exciting for all of in June and for a wave of, as we call them, indies, which isn't a really fair description because it feels like it's categorizing someone on their size of their business is kind of lame. But I do think it's the newer brands, the fresher brands that are going to come in. And I do believe there will be Olive and June and a wave of others that will change the category. Your entrepreneurial spirit and how you dig in to the category, to fall in love with the product, to be present and in place is impressive. And I'd love to know a little bit more about sort of your entrepreneurial background from the standpoint of how you feel about it and how involved you are in the business and where you come from as that entrepreneurial side of you and the owner of the brand itself. Yeah, it's funny because we just launched Press-Ons in November and people always ask me, where do you get your nails done? And it always makes me laugh because they're like, but when you go to get, and I'm like, I do my own nails. Like, that's the whole point. I'm fully invested in this. Like, I am the 100% at home, right? And the only time that I ever have someone that even works on my nails is if we have a photo shoot and literally I just want to change a color on set. And I'm really, really close to the manicurists. They're really dear friends of mine that we work with. And so I'll say, oh, should should I do this color today? Should we try this? Just because it's like a color coming out and I'm just excited. And so they're like, sit in my chair. It's been nine months. Like, let me look at those nails. They always say that they're very surprised that I know how to shape my own nails. It's funny to me when people ask me that because I'm like, and that experience wasn't that fun for me for a long period of time, right? Even when I owned the salons, I always felt like I was working. And so at some point that experience kind of left it for me. And so now I actually really enjoy, whether it be press-ons or polish, like sitting in front of my favorite reality TV show, Below Deck is my current favorite for anybody wanting a suggestion. But I think it's a really underrated reality show. Yeah. Start at season one, episode one. You will not be disappointed. I'm currently on season four. I love to binge. And so I do my nails in front of the TV and it's like probably the only hour every week that I have. It's so firmly for myself. And I really, really enjoy it. But I would say, you know, to answer your question, both of my parents are entrepreneurs and not fully. They both have had corporate jobs and they've both been entrepreneurial. So they've done both. And I grew up watching them be entrepreneurial. My mom, my dad worked in finance. So we were in a situation for sure that my mom could have chosen if she wanted to work or not. We were very, very privileged in that way. And she always chose to work and went back to school and became a nurse and and was a NICU nurse. So she basically saved newborn babies' lives for close to a decade. And then she opened a kitchen store after that. I mean, she really is an incredibly self-motivated person. And I really took a lot of that from my parents. They're big self-starters. Grades were very important to them. Achieving and not financially so, but just achieving is really, really important in my family and trying to have a positive impact in the world. My dad always would tell us, I work in finance, but your mother is saving lives. And you should think a lot about that when you're choosing your career. And it really had a huge impact on me because my brother and I were both in finance for a really long time, a decade each, I think. And we both left. And while he is, by the way, saving lives in the ICU, I do think I make people happy every day. And so for me, that is what drives me as an entrepreneur. It is making people happy. It is making them feel better about themselves. I love that our product is relatively inexpensive. I love that we have a $9 nail polish that competes with formulas at $12. Like to me, it's like, what can we do in this world to make people feel good about themselves? And it's like, how many manicures can you get out of a $9 bottle of polish? 15, 10, like what a world, you know? And so for me, that really like fills me up. And so that's really where it comes from. I mean, I remember we were developing our press-ons and 
to me, it was incredibly important that they be size inclusive, that they fit the hopefully the smallest pinky and the largest thumb as best we can. But that meant a lot of nails, double the amount of nails in the market in normal packages. And we do two of each. So it meant 42 nails, which was an incredible amount of nails. And then we thought about a lot about the waste. So we made it the first ever recycled plastic press-on. So it's 94% PCR. And so I was in the weeds in those conversations. And then I was in the weeds of testing. And I just think if you're doing something you love, no one likes to you know clean the bathroom. There's always that part of the job, right? But if you're doing something you love, you really dig into all the key parts of it. And you hopefully create this product that's never been made before. Because I think to your point before, Jessica, it's like, I don't want to just do something that someone else has done and just like make money. That's not the kind of business I want to have. I want to create something super new in the category and really impress and inspire people, but also just create the best product for the consumer. Yeah, it was quite interesting when Olive and June really popped up, I think in our world, I'd say, and maybe Denise, I don't know if it's the same, I'm kind of speaking for both of us, but it was this interesting at-home manicure kit in an accessible price range, suddenly making nails more doable, right? I mean, obviously any little girl has no problem picking up a nail polish brush and saying she can do nails. And we kind of lose that as we get older because we think, oh, I can't do this well and so forth. And then we stop. And now all of a sudden that there's these tools available and it came directly to your home and it gave you what you needed in order to do that well, ticked a lot of boxes. And the price point, which to me at the time too, was really fascinating. Like you said, Denise and I come from big corporate company and specifically within nails. So we know the price to make things. So I would love to understand a little bit, like was you jumped into not just the manicure set the first time, but now with your press-ons and that innovation, you're not actually doing the tape, which is also interesting. So I'd love to understand too, how, how you're able to really apply this pricing so that you can stay accessible to so many people. You can still make it a delivery system to their homes and still deliver on innovation. It's such a good question because I will tell you, it is extremely challenging. The ability to price something accessibly as a small business is when you don't have economies of scale, you don't have the ability to say, sure, sure, sure. In a few years, I'm going to have millions of these bottles coming through. You have to negotiate at minimum order quantities and no one wants to give you a break. No one thinks you're going to be a thing. They've seen it a million times before. They're like, thank you for telling me you're going to be the next XYZ company, but we don't believe you. We hope so. A couple things. I think the first thing is that we picked a manufacturer for polish that we hit a little bit of fortuitous timing. They really wanted to break into the US. They were incredibly huge in Asia. So they had a robust operation, but they were not huge in the US. I met the salesperson at the right time at the right trade show, and they just believed in me. And I think that that's how it is in life, right? Like my first job on Wall Street was really, I interviewed with someone who brought me onto his desk and was like, oh, I think this person can really do the job. He took a chance on me. I think we hit that right because we had met with probably six different polish manufacturers prior and everyone was giving us their stock formulas. No one believed in what we could do. And I don't think if we hadn't found this manufacturer in Korea and really forged this relationship, I don't think that Alvin June would be as special as it is today. And I really credit my team, by the way. They've really expanded that relationship. I started it, but they've expanded it. I'm forever grateful to that manufacturer for believing in us and sourcing the right materials and really understanding how long-lasting we wanted it. Because I think that they wanted to fire us 
many, many, many times during that process because we tested all of our formulas in salon with 30 people every round and we were giving feedback and I think they were like, you guys are crazy. And polish is a little bit easier on cost of goods because it is paint. And so it's a little bit easier, but it was still, let's be honest, we weren't ordering it from a manufacturer who had an outpost in the United States which most do, all the majors do. And so I had to not only make it in Korea, which is inherently more expensive for good reason, they source the best products and best ingredients, obviously. And then I had to ship it over here. And so I was immediately adding so much cost. And then the question was, where do you price it, right? But I felt really strongly like, first of all, the formula has to be lights out. Poppy is going to be this patented innovation and everyone will freak out about that. But if the polish chips too fast, we're sunk. It's over. So the polish has to be really, really long lasting. And so then it comes down to the brush and all the other things. But I think the reality is then where do you price it? And I think that's really the heart of your question. And originally, obviously, we priced it at $8. I really almost priced it at 12 to $14. That's where it should have been priced, the robust margins to start. But I took a chance on the fact that I thought if the polish is good and we get enough volume, I'll be able to negotiate, which you do at these manufacturers, with the right order quantities of the price. And so I basically said to them, when I hit this volume, I'm going to need to be at this price. And I knew that we would build it in a certain way. We would make less money to get there, but we hit it. And we hit it because the formula was good. That's really why I took the risk. Press-ons has been even more expensive to make for obvious reasons, similar challenges, but also way more product inside of a press-on system or a press-on set, I should say. We have a press-on system as well. We have systems for manis and petties and press-ons. But in the press-on set, there's way more little things in there versus just a bottle of polish and it's $10. So you can only imagine, obviously margin to creative. However, same philosophy. And the reality is we are a mass brand. Like if you want to be a mass brand and you want to be truly inclusive, you have to be price inclusive. And I knew where mass brands were selling their press-ons. I see all the category data. And so I know where the price point is that the consumer wants. And so we had to hit the price. I think you mentioned something about data, which we always love to dig into a little bit because that really is where the heart of the business is. You have this innovation and these great ideas, and then how does it fall into the market and where does the revenue and the sell-through come from and so forth? So when you think about data, what is the regular pieces of data or what are the regular pieces of data that you go to and look to, to kind of drive your business or come up with your innovation? So at first I was looking at very little. I was really looking at customer surveys and what they wanted because I felt really confident when we were going into Polish that I had obviously worked with people in the salon for five years, six years, and I knew what they wanted out of their polish. I probably could have done the same thing for gel because obviously we were doing gels at the time. And so I was able to do customer surveys of our own customers, do blind anonymous surveys across the country. I was able to look at just like anecdotal feedback of the feedback loop of Instagram. Like we were able to survey that following. I was able to kind of really look at it from a customer lens and also from a lens of having owned a nail salon and I, I got every complaint. So I knew what people didn't like and what they liked. And so for that, it was a different type of data. To your point of, I did look at some other more esoteric bits of data, like what are the number of searches on YouTube for DIY nail videos, right? Like I looked at other, I don't know that everyone would think about when they're first trying to concept this, but for me it was, 
you can ask someone in a survey, do you want to learn to paint your nails at home? And they can say yes. But then if they're not looking for it on their own without being asked, then it's not real. And so I wanted to like cross-reference because the responses were 90% wanted to learn. And so I, I thought that's really high for people that don't really do it. So let me like look and see if actually that's tracking other places. And it was, which was exciting. It wasn't as strong as 90% in the other places. So then you had to see. So then that's really where the risk comes in. And especially with press-ons. Press-ons were not something that I wore. I mean, I wore Lee press-ons. Everyone knows Lee. I like went back and watched all those videos, by the way, of like their commercials. And it was an iconic brand for anyone who's too young to know. I feel very old right now, but I haven't worn press-ons since Lee. And so, and I also thought to myself, why are none of the polish companies doing press-ons too? Like there has to be something there. And usually polish companies go to gel next because they're a salon distribution and all of the things. And it makes total sense. But press-ons were one of the most requested product from our consumers because some of our colors are harder to paint. And also they wanted an instant olive in June Manny. They were like, I just wish this dried faster, which, you know, again, I see all the complaints. So I thought to myself, okay, maybe we can do press-ons. I don't know if that's my vibe. I mean, I really was like against it. But then I started looking at market data. And for that, I pulled in sales at retailers and really understanding who's selling it, what are they selling. You can find out this information by SKU level. So I knew what people were starting to buy. And I thought to myself, I'm not delivering on our promise of beautiful nails for everyone if I'm not delivering in all the big parts of the category. Because some people want to paint their nails and have it dry. And some people want it in 10 minutes. And what does that look like? And the hard part was gels didn't really satisfy that because if you didn't know how to paint your nails well, you weren't going to know how to paint your gels well. And they also were hard to take off in a way that was like laborious, whereas press-ons are easier to take off, even though they still require a process. And so I thought to myself, I guess I'm going to do press-ons. But then it became like, okay, well, then what is the hole in the market for press-ons? Absolutely. I think that it's such a really great combination of both gut and knowing the market and being so obsessed with it that you really honestly, intrinsically understand it. And then obviously having the data to back it up and so forth. The one thing I would say is like, we look at the data, but we are very firmly opposed to being like, this is working for this brand. So we will do it. Yes. Like the Olive Engine ethos is so different than any other nail brand out there that certain products people make in like adjacent categories that kind of like hit nails or hit care. And we will absolutely not make the product. A, if it doesn't fit our ethos. B, if it's already done perfectly. C, if it just like isn't of interest to us. So we use it to say, are we missing something or should we consider something? And then we say, how can I do something totally different in that space? Absolutely. I think that's the big thing with Olive and June. And my takeaway from getting to spend this time with you is that it is going about this industry differently. It's a fresh perspective and really coming at it from a place of somebody that absolutely loves it and is really in it. You're wearing it. You're constantly thinking about it, researching it, talking to different companies, different people and involved. And I think that's what we're seeing when we see Olive and June push the envelope a little bit and go outside of what would be the typical path. Even if at first it doesn't feel like it's the main strategy, it's because it's a discovery. Then you're validating. And after you're validating, then it's like, okay, let's go do this. Let's go mix it up. So I'm super excited about the press on nails. I'm super excited to see this category come back. I loved Lee nails, so super excited. I've got a couple pairs now of the Olive and June, so I am super excited to start playing. And mostly too, because 
I can wear them for a day and take them off. That's the other really nice part of this category is I'm not wedded to something that lasts two weeks or seven days. So that's another super exciting element to this different side of the business. Absolutely. And I think it's funny because the other thing is you can always take them off, obviously, but also what I love about it is if a gel peels, you're sunk. Like your nail looks terrible or it chips, something happens. And that happens a lot, especially as you get gels more often. If a press-on pops off, you just pop it back on. Like, I just love that. Like it's so easy. And so if my nail pops off, I don't freak out about it. But how many times have I chipped my mani literally on everything? And then you have to figure out how to fix that. So for me, the instant mani, which is what we call our press-ons, is so easy. If you had told me I'd be a press-on person a year ago, I would have told you you're crazy. I mostly wear them now. We'll see kind of how it shakes out. But I'm seeing both, obviously. But I've really enjoyed the ease of press-ons and like just how it's like better than gel and they're long nails and my nails look perfect, which is by the way, what my nails should look like if I'm the founder of Olive in June. So feels good. Sarah, it has just been so much fun having this conversation with you and hearing about how you shook up an industry that needed to be shaken up and continued to do so. So congratulations on all of your success. We hope to have you back on the show in the future. But if people want to reach out to you and learn a little more about your journey or what you have done to succeed in an industry that's really needed this innovation, how can they reach you? Absolutely. You can check out our website, oliveandjune.com. You can check out our Instagram at oliveandjune. My personal Instagram is at Gibson Tuttle. And I've recorded a couple of podcasts people can listen to. I really think the best part about me is really the product. And so for anyone who knows the brand Kosas, the founder said, said something to me once that really resonated with me. She said, I feel taken care of every time I use your products. So if you want to learn more grab one of the press-on sets or grab a bottle of polish and start painting and like join us on Instagram live because that is the best way to hang out. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Such a pleasure. This has been Beauty is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.